Hello, and welcome to On the Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open, honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson. I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest to find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. Today, I'm on the Marie Curie couch with Janice Long. Janice has been a radio broadcaster for more than 40 years. During her career, she's presented shows for BBC Radio 1 and Radio 2, and she can currently be heard on BBC Radio Wales, where she plays the music she loves. Originally from Liverpool, Janice still lives up north with her husband Paul, who she married two years ago after 30 years together. And they've got two children. Janice Long, welcome to the Marie Curie Couch. Thank you very much indeed, Jason. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you. So can we start today by you telling us about a significant bereavement that you've experienced in your life? Um, It's funny, actually, because four years ago, um, we moved back to Liverpool. Right. To be near my parents, uh, Paul and I. And in that year, my mum died, February the 26th, just as we moved. Um, And then three best friends died. And then um, a couple of years ago, my, my, my brother died. So I feel as though I've had a lot of death, you know, a lot of death going on in the family mm. and friends. So um, it's weird, isn't it? Because it, the things that you never, ever get over. I mean, how many times have I gone to ring Keith? How many times have I thought, oh, I should tell my mum this? Or Josie would love and think, it's not here, she's not here. Or Jazz would have loved, he's not here. And those, they, they never go away. Mm. And I can hear there's been a significant amount in a short space of yes. time as yes. well. Yes, um, You mentioned Keith. Yeah. Can we talk a bit of course, more about, about, about Keith's death? So yeah. can you tell us a bit about who Keith was? Um, Cheggers. I suppose people know uh, Keith as Cheggers. Um, he was um, a fantastic entertainer. He started off in... Um, Films, actually, uh, for the Film Foundation, Children's Film Foundation. Um, both he and his twin brother, my brother, Jeff, uh, were in a film called Eggheads Robot, subsequently went on to do other things. And he um, he did sitcoms and he was in Polanski's Macbeth, you know. Uh, but he always wanted to do, be an entertainer. And he said to the BBC, can I work on a show and, you know, do what he wanted to do? And they gave him a chance, and that was Swap Shop. And Cheggers Plays Pop as well was another one. So he was very, very successful. So was he living in Liverpool when he was working? Was he in London? Was what he... happened was that um, <laughs> there was a children's talent show called Junior Showtime with Bobby Brown. Um, and I think it was made in Leeds. Um, and Keith auditioned for it. And the woman... Uh, there was a woman there, and she noticed Keith, and she noticed 
He was a twin brother. And she said to my mum, these two boys, I think they'd be perfect for this film, Egghead's Robot. And she said, would you mind if they came to London? So they went down to London and um, they got the parts. Um, and then she subsequently said to mum and dad, um, I think, because they were in a secondary modern school in Bootle. And, um, and she said, I think they'd have a better opportunity or, you know, better opportunities. Um, maybe if they came to the Barbara Speak Stage School in London, which is in Acton. Right. And uh, so they headed off there. Mm -hmm. And then um, got lots of work. Um, Keith was in a lot of adverts, so was Jeff in adverts. Jeff didn't want to perform, though. Um, and Keith just went from strength to strength doing what he did. Mm. Can you tell us about his illness? Did he have a an, an illness that was that he was living with for a long time? No, it's quite sudden. Okay. Um, pulmonary fibrosis, right. idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And what happened was he and Maria, his wife, and their son Ted, because Rose had left home and everything. So Ted, um, they decided that they moved to Shropshire, and they bought the most beautiful house with stables in Shropshire, and they wanted to be close to my dad and to Paul and I. Now, sadly, uh, this condition developed, and he just got worse and worse and worse very quickly. Um, it was awful to see him being able to move one minute and then not being able to move without um, oxygen, you know, after right. the portable oxygen. Um, and then he... he he, he took to his bed, really. Um, they put a bed in the uh, in the kitchen mm -hmm. so he could see the views, see his lakes, see the views, see the horses and what have you. And that's where he died. In December, his bed in the kitchen? Yeah, December the 11th, two years ago. And it was... It was sorry. <laughs> heartbreaking to see, to see his demise, you know. It was really mm. sad. Mm. Was it over just a few months? It's probably about four or five months. And Paul and I, we'd been together 31 years, a couple of years ago, and we decided to get married. And, um, and I said to Keith, you don't have to come. You know, really don't put yourself out. Really take it easy. I would not miss that for the world. So he came to the wedding and he had his portable oxygen machine and he sat on the front row. They got him a wheelchair to take him upstairs and everything. And he sat on the front row and, um, yeah, that was that was September the 23rd, two years ago, and then in the December he died. Very soon after. How was that, having your brother at your wedding? I was made up. <laughs> Absolutely delighted to just see him there at the, on the front row. And he was so proud, yeah. Because we're very close, you see my brothers and I. Right. Very close. And always on the phone to each other. And Keith was the go-to man for... Um, if you wanted any gadgets or you were thinking of doing something, he, he'd always know everything about everything. <laughs> uh, one of those people. He even... I mean, <laughs> You've got a good review. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, my dad's a technophobe. Right. 
um, completely useless. Him and my mum used to row all of the time, just recording a video. Uh, and Keith wanted, he said to Keith one day, my, uh, my television, I don't know what's wrong with this television, it's not working. So Keith got in the car from, um, lived in a place then between Newbury and Andover. Drove all the way to see my dad in near Liverpool. Nothing wrong with the telly, just pressed a button and it was fixed and that was it. But he made that journey just to sort it out for him. <laughs> nice. Janice, can we, we just go back to when Keith was first diagnosed? Mm. And um, something I know for our listeners is, you know, how do we, how, how, do you, how do you tell people? How do you talk about it? How do you tell the family? Did Keith know early on that his illness was terminal? It is terminal. That's so he knew it. straight away as soon yes, as he was no diagnosed. Cure. And that's why they're um, raising awareness for it at the moment because it kills more people than stomach cancer and leukaemia. Right. Um, so he was told, unless you have a lung transplant, it is terminal. But he couldn't have the lung transplant because everything started shutting down. Right. So his heart became weak. You know, and it was just a, a process of everything closing down and that, that, that was it. So it is terminal mm. unless you can get lungs. And how did he break that news to you, do you remember? Yes. Um, he told us when we went to see him. And um, But you see, he was full of hope then, thinking that he'd get, he'd get the lungs. Yeah. And so he, I think he just thought, well, I'll... I'll He'd be all right, but he, he didn't get the lungs because everything collapsed. Uh, yes, so he told us and with my dad and my dad was just like, he couldn't believe it. Didn't want to believe it, neither did Jeff. Hmm. Jeff was the same over my mum as well. It's like, no, no, it'll be fine. You know, and we can't think negatively because that's going to make it worse. You know, can't bear to think about it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and my dad, of course, it's horrible because as he keeps, you know, he still says it to this day. You know, he shouldn't go before me, and he's always saying, "I miss his laugh, I miss him phoning me and having a laugh." <laughs> um, but it was hard for all of us. Um, both our kids as well, you know, um, and obviously for Keith's wife, his son, his daughter, but everybody rallied round. There were always people there. <laughs> you know, his, his daughter came back from San Francisco and worked from the kitchen, <laughs> did everything by conference call, um, and her husband, uh, he's in a band, but he, he took time out, um, and Fred and Molly, everybody just went over to Shropshire. <laughs> mm. And Keith was in the kitchen, oh, yeah. in his bed, with yeah. his view, and then everyone was around. I'd never known Keith watched daytime telly in his life. Do you know what I mean? He just wasn't that, but he was always active, doing things. Um, but then, the last few months he did, you know, you'd see him watching um, Houses Under the Hammer or whatever. Ever in his special chair, mm. and as you say, it's really difficult. But you know, one of the hardest things is watching that decline. It's horrible because I'd seen it with Mum, and I'd seen it with um, Josie, one of my fr friends. There's a look, 
like a mask kind of thing. And it, it just, I don't know what, what it is, but you can just tell mm-hmm. that it's imminent. So they look different yeah. near near the end, you yes. mean near death. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but do you know what? He was laughing and joking till the end. Um, still taking, you know, messing around with the nurses, having a joke, and um, and and that they were saying he's remarkable because he's still entertaining because um, they they come and sometimes stay out. Well, they did stay over uh, from the hospice, and they said he was just fun all of the time. And that was a big part of him and who he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's. Li- see, I think when you've lived your life in the public, mm. um. That, that's it, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You, you, I mean, that's when when Keith, all those years ago, gave up alcohol. He did it on the telly. You know, he said, I'm an alcoholic and I want to stop and this is the only way I can think of doing it. On oh, no. If I do it, yeah. Because he tried before without telling anybody. I mean, I, we knew. But, um, but uh, that was... And he never, ever touched a drop since that day. And that's how he dealt with it. Yes. Yeah. Um, even um, when he's struggling with his oxygen tank and every, he 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 didn't care that the public saw it. Some people might think, "Oh, I don't want anybody to see me like this," but he was just like, "No, th- this is the way it is." He he'd go off to Asda or whatever, you know, and take that and do the shopping. And that's true as well, because I think you know we 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 often say it's hard for people to come to terms with their own physical changes, yeah. the things that are happening with mm. their body, and to kind of go out and do the things that they used to do um, isn't as mm. easy and isn't as often straightforward. Exactly, um, and he was obviously not able to do. So. He was obviously not able to do um, any of the stuff he was used to doing. So I'm saying you know to see him watching Homes Under the Hammer yeah. was a rare, <laughs> a rare thing. Did um, did Keith talk about death and dying? Did he talk about his own death? He did to Jeff. He told Jeff he was scared. That's his twin brother. Yeah. And with me, he just kept saying, I love you. We said it to all of us, but just hold your hand and go, love you, love you, love you. Um, but obviously, that, that special bond, isn't it, that twins have? And, um, yeah, he took Jeff's hand and said, I'm scared, Jeff. Yeah. Did he talk about any practical things like making a will or planning his funeral? I didn't talk to him about that, no. Oh, and on the funeral front, he wanted a quiet one. Right. Yeah, he didn't want a great big um, affair. You know, he said to Maria, just keep it quiet. So he planned his funeral? Or? He just wanted family and friends. He didn't want a big showbiz funeral. Right. Um, and I presume he made a will. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Can you tell us about the funeral? It was in um, Whitchurch, and it was very emotional. Um, his daughter, Rose, spoke about him, Ted spoke about him, I spoke about him, and Jeff spoke about him. And um, there was lots of, lots of love. And then afterwards, it was just immediate family. So um, my dad and Jeff and I and Maria, obviously, uh, 
10, Rose, we went to the crematorium for another little service before he taken off. Just to move on a bit now, Janice, I think often people who have experienced the death and loss of someone close to them, they describe um, being faced with their own mortality as well sometimes. And um, I'd like to ask, do you ever think about your own death? No, because it scares me. Right. What scares you? Not being here. Mm, don't like thinking about it. And um, just thinking about kind of on a, on a practical level. So I'm guessing if you don't like thinking about your death and you don't like to talk <coughs> about it, which lots of people don't, then you might not have made plans for your funeral. Oh, I've told Paul it's got to be a huge one. Right. Opposite of Keith. <laughs> Big party. Huge party. Um, yeah, Liverpool Cathedral. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Paul so said, I going to pay for this. <laughs> so you have had those conversations? Only that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one to talk about, though, because I think for our listeners, you know, lots of people, it's part, it's part of our work, you know, about trying to support, to support people and encourage people to, to have conversations and make some plans, mm. plan for the future. And a funeral planning is one of those things. So a big event, <laughs> Liverpool Cathedral. <laughs> I should be so lucky. <laughs> yeah, and... Everybody I can think of to be there. Yeah. What's important to you about it? The about the funeral, yeah. And I about just wanted to be a celebration. A celebration. It's like when we got married and we said, we'll have the service, but go sh straight into a party with, um, you know, there was food, obviously, but we did it like a kind of street food thing and we got straight into the party. And, and it was great. And that's what I'd like. I don't want people being maudling. Mm. A celebration. Yeah, too right. Marie Curie want to change the way the UK talks about death and dying. We believe an open conversation with loved ones now can make life better at the end. For more information on how to start the conversation and free tools and resources to help, visit mariecurie.org.uk forward slash talkabout. Marie Curie, for life to the last. Can I ask about your mum's death? Are you all okay to talk a bit about that? Yeah. Dennis? Was she was she ill? Um, she was. She had pancreatic cancer. Right. But that bit was quite sudden. Um, she kept going to the doctor, and they were saying nothing. You know, no, no, you're all right. Um, but she knew there was something wrong. And then eventually it was diagnosed, and she had jaundice. Um, and uh, I think she was scared. I know she'd had the conversations with my dad, which he tells you about now. You know, so we know, but before your mum died, she said this, or she said that, or whatever. Um, and um, she died in hospital, in Whiston Hospital. And <laughs> very... Very funny, actually, I thought at the time she waited for me to finish work. 
Um, she literally died five minutes after my show ended. And the car was outside to take me home. And I just had to say, Western Hospital, please. And um, But we'd, we'd everybody came up for that as well, Jeff and Keith. And our kids and their kids at my Um And she, um, she had her hair done. You know what I mean? We did it because she was very proud, my mum. Mm. So um, I always made sure that she looked really nice even like when she was very, very ill. Did her hair, put um, the eyeshadow and the eyebrows on. <laughs> uh, but then she just drifted off, as Keith did, you know. Mm. One minute she was all right, then then she was falling asleep. I was, We were armchair dancing, she was in the bed, and I was sitting on the bed, and we were holding her arms and we were dancing to uh, Little Richard. Um, but her eyes were closed, but she, she and then she just mouthed, you, um, yes, but she, February the twenty sixth, she died four years ago. And I think that thing about you know m- making sure that her hair was done and mm. her makeup was done because yeah. that was her identity and that was what and was she was very very cool, mum. You know the way she dressed, her hair, she had red hair, and um. She always looked the bees knee. You know, she really did. She was yeah. very trendy. So um, it would be unfair to not let her be as trendy as she could be in, you know, in dying. Yeah. Um, I think that's an important message, isn't it? Just because you're dying doesn't mean you can't that you're not what, still yeah. a person or exactly. yourself or you can keep your identity. Exactly, exactly. And um, so, yeah, and, and even, you know, I mean, I know this happens to everybody, but um, when she died, and when, you know, in the coffin, they, they the funeral parlour, not far actually from where mum and dad lived, and um, he took the all the eyeshadow and the eyebrow pencil and everything around to be put on. Brilliant. Yeah, and picked out clothes. How nice, so right till the end. Oh, right till the end, she looked groovy, she looked great. Marg. Can we talk a bit now, Janice, about bereavement and about about grief? I don't know whether you're able to share your experience of that um, or or what what, what helps you or has helped you. I just seem to remember crying a lot. Right. In the beginning? Yeah. And I, th- I think talking is, is such a good thing. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've got Paul or the kids, you know, but they, they live away from home now. But, you know, I can always, always talk to Paul. Um, and I find it easier, than, say, talking to my dad because he's going through it. And you know what I mean? It's, it's hard. Um, so I'd rather pour my heart out to Paul mm-hmm. than lay it on my dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that often happens for families because people yeah. want to protect each other. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And as I say, he does talk about it. You know, we, we, we meet um, a lot, Dad and I. Um, and, you know, if we do our Saturday lunch thing, it'll, it'll come up, you know. Oh, I miss you, Mum. And, oh, I hate the nights drawing in now because the days are really, it feels really long. And, and you know, I haven't got your Mum. And, um, and then he'll go on about Keith. Um, 
You know, or Miss Keith. <laughs> of course he does. Um, but it's... I think talking is... Letting it out, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure people must... You know, every, every person's going to be different um, in how they deal. Mm. Some people probably like looking at photographs. That would bring tears to my eyes. I've got all the memories in my head. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have looked at photographs, obviously, but it, it, it doesn't make it easy for mm. me. Mm-hmm. I know some people, they, they would find comfort in that, but I find it hard. And if I see anything of... Because um, like, Keith can pop up on your Twitter or on telly, you know, they might show a picture of him. Ooh, it breaks my heart, that. <laughs> yeah, what, what is that like when somebody's been on TV and then all of a sudden I know. they might just appear? It's um, on the screen. It, it, it gets me every time. You know, you just can't help but burst into tears. Mm-hmm. Um, because, of course, if you're in that job, the, the, it, it, you know, it's there, isn't it, for you to you can Google and find anything you want, can't you? Mm-hmm. So lots of tears, mm. more in the beginning, mm. and conversations with others like your dad. Yes. And and I think there's something there, isn't there, about having um, talking to people who knew the person as well and just reminiscing or storytelling. Mm. Um, those things some people can find helpful. Yeah. Um, and I'm just remembering all the good times as well, because... Keith and Jeff are both practical jokers, so there's always something to laugh about, to remember. Um, and, you know, all the holidays we had as kids, I remember those. I used to sit in the middle of the Austin A40 and Keith would be one side, Jeff would be the other, and we digging each other. And um, But, yeah, they were both practical jokers, so there's always been fun. Um, and we were very, very close. We went to the youth club together. Um, hung out. Mm. There's something in what you said about you, you were talking about how it always stays with you and it never goes away. And I'm just thinking about moving forward and moving mm. on with life after a loss, but actually taking it with you and thinking about how you take it with you and how it's going to be part of your life. And that's one way, I suppose, isn't it, that for Keith, he's memories and he's in your head, which you pointed to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're things that you can take forward. That's part of maybe taking the grief with you as well, isn't mm. it? But packaging it in a different way in when you're able way. to. That's what I said. We're all different, aren't we? Mm. Um, and some people are the same. I want to look at old letters or photographs. Um, but I've I've got it all filed away in my head, as I say, so I can always pull it out. Mm. Is your legacy important to you? Um, in terms that I hope I've been good and kind. Mm. That's that's all you can ask for. Is that how you'd like to be remembered? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've never willingly hurt anybody. You know what I mean. So that's important to me. I like to um, go to bed and sleep and not think I shouldn't have done that <laughs> or whatever. So, and be quite nice as well um, for people to remember 
the amount of pants I gave a leg up to. <laughs> so that's what you've done with your career as well, as music. giving legs up to bands, but yeah, yeah, yeah. music. Yeah. Yes. Um, always been looking for new bands. Still do. Um, so, yes, nice to be remembered by some of them as well. Just before we finish, Janice, can I ask um, if some of the listeners at the minute are supporting a loved one with a terminal illness or grieving themselves, is there anything you might say to them, a word of advice or support? It's be yourself, isn't it, really? Be yourself. Um, don't, don't make it sad. You know, we did that with Keith and with Mum, having fun till the end. Um, Because you just want everything to be as fine as it can for them. Cuddles, holding hands, all of those things are so so important. Mm. Um, Because it must be so scary. And just having somebody to cuddle you. (laughs) And, yeah, and listen. Sing. There's all sorts of things we did. Do you know what I mean? That um, singing Neil Diamond with my mum because she loved him. Didn't sing Mickey because he wasn't mad on music, funnily enough. <laughs> but he'd just be laughing and joking himself anyway. Bless him. Thank you, Janice Long, for coming along today and sharing your stories. And it's been great to meet you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So that's all for this episode of On the Marie Curie Couch. We hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. Marie Curie's here to help. From planning ahead to coping with bereavement, you can talk through any concerns you have around the end of life with our support line team, which includes specially trained nurses. Call us on 0800 090 2309 or search Marie Curie online. This podcast is made by Marie Curie, a national charity that supports people affected by terminal illness. For more information and support, you can visit our website mariecurie.org.uk. The podcast is produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from Ultimate Sound and Vision. The music featured is Time Lapse by Pan Oceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.